Tell you what, Cassandra, would you come over here and press this button on three? Just this one right here. Okay. One, two, three. This is Jim and Ralph, and uh, this is Psychology Takeaway, where we attempt to make sense of things that are going on in the world that have something to do with psychology. We have a guest today, Ralph. We do. We and have a I.O. psychologist named Cassandra uh, Stockner. Cassandra. Yes, hello. Thank you both for having me on the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. So um, I do go by Cassie, Cassie, Cassie. Stockner, soon to be Dr. Stockner. So that that kind of rhymes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so very exciting. Um, like you said, I am in I.O. psychology, also known as industrial organizational psychology. For those of you who have never heard of it, it is a, essentially psychology applied to the workplace. So the I side of things or the industrial side of things focuses on business aspects such as selecting and hiring employees, training and development, things along those lines. And then the O side or the organizational side focuses on people or workers within the organizations. So we do a lot of things with well-being, stress, worker motivation, um, things along those lines. So, Kelsey, one, one of the things that I understand IO psychology to have grown out of is uh, a fellow, I believe his name was Taylor, who did a lot of the early work in what's called time and motion study, trying to make work more efficient. Not now, necessarily more fun. You know, no, but okay. or, uh, or, or, you or. have to take part A from bin B and put it on unit C with two bolts. Uh, how do you do that? And do it quickly or do it efficiently? Efficiently, yeah. yeah. Now, one of the examples of this, uh, I just read a little piece of trivia in history. During World War II, the American Sherman tank was put together in 10,000 hours. Wow. The uh, German Tiger One tank was put together in 300,000 hours because the Germans are, were using a craftsmanship model still where the Americans were using the assembly line model. So, you know, this would be an example of the difference between efficiency and uh, I don't outcome outcome you yeah. know uh, was the tiger tank any better than the Sherman tank? Well, one of the problems with it was that they were completely tinkering with it. So they do five of them, and then somebody would come along and say, "Now we want this to be different." Okay. And, and so they'd make an inline change, and then you know six tanks later they'd be saying, "No, no, we want." something else different. Okay, this would be like being at General Motors and every four or five automobiles, somebody wants a different thingy, right? Yeah. Okay. And so that would be an example of how perpetually your workers are uh, 
being told, now you do it different. Yeah, so Taylor was very early on in the field of IO psychology. And at the time, it was more referred to as industrial psychology. It <laughs> focused heavily on that business aspect. So like you said, it was all about efficiency, you know, getting things out there as quickly as possible. And while that's great from a business standpoint, we saw that it was negatively affecting a lot of the workers. They yeah. were being overworked, they were stressed, their well-being was declining. So that's part of the reason why we have morphed into the field that we have today, because yeah. we, we saw the effect that business practices could have on employees. Yeah, we so see the, uh, that uh, Charlie Chaplin movie, Megapolis, where people become just, what, robots or just part of the assembly line. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's kind of your area of interest, Cassie, isn't it? The helping people with uh, workplace relations and, and how, uh, how to make a more pleasant, if you will, workplace where people are happy to, to be there. Yeah, a little bit. So I, I actually focus a little bit more on the I side, which is the business side. But my research currently focuses on team conflict. And of course, this is going to affect the employees in the organization. So my job is to figure out how we can help both the workers who are experiencing this conflict, but also from a business perspective, you know, remediate the conflict so that things can go smoothly and projects can move along as planned. When did this idea come? Uh, into, into focus that we should uh, take care of the employee more so than we have in Charlie Chaplin's day? You know, I don't know an exact time frame. It's been a little bit since I read up on the history of IO psychology. Mm -hmm. But I can say as far as when this topic became of interest to me, I think a lot of people can relate to my story. Okay. So here in grad school, we have a course called Practicum, where under the advisement of a faculty member, we get to do practical projects for organizations outside of the university. And so I, along with other students, would work in groups to act as consultants. And I noticed that sometimes there would be a lot of team conflict, right? A lot of people can relate to this, whether you are a student in school or a worker working with colleagues. Sometimes people don't do the tasks they're supposed to. Other people are picking up slack. Sometimes all group members are very competent, but personality differences occur, and then people can't get along. Um, and one of the things that I'm looking at right now with my dissertation is how the presence of a third-party client increases those negative feelings caused by this conflict. So I noticed that when I was working for somebody outside of my organization and not just those who I was working around daily inside of my organization, that I felt a lot more pressure and a lot more demands placed upon me and the team because you want to create this more positive image. Okay, and the third party doesn't necessarily care about the team. They have a problem, they want you to solve it, 
as quickly as you can. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's the case. You know, mm -hmm. we come across all types of clients. Some are very invested in team dynamics. Some don't care. They only want the product and they have a timeline for it that you have to meet. Mm -hmm. So we see all types of clients that come through. You know, um, I'm thinking of uh, uh, labeling or titling this uh, podcast, Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of that song? I have not. Okay, well, so, so where does it go back to? Uh, oh, it goes 50s, back 60s? to, uh, I think, the late 70s, early 80s. and uh, well, We see a lot of angst on the job, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Jim, you used the, the term that came out of the 70s, uh, uh, going postal, where uh, postal workers were... Uh, were coming in and there was workplace violence and you know that's where the term comes from and I think that's also where the song comes from that uh, people were saying you know I'm, I'm not going to work for you anymore because yeah. you've got what in today's world we would call a hostile workplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah I think of uh, a more contemporary song Alan Jackson with Five O'Clock Somewhere he says, I haven't had a day off in a year, and the boss hates me, and I don't like the boss. Do we see that kind of conflict a lot? In, so, or is that overstated? What you're referring to isn't necessarily team conflict. Yeah. That refers to more negative attitudes of employees in general. right? Okay. So decreased well-being, lower satisfaction with one's job things along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, so when I refer to team conflict, there are three different types of conflict that can occur. The first is task conflict, where there are disagreements over the tasks that are being performed. You then have process... Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, so you might have a series of tasks that you have to perform to get a project done at okay. work. And you might have different viewpoints or ideas than your other team members. And so when you can't agree on how best to perform those tasks or perhaps the order to perform them in, mm -hmm. then conflict over those tasks occurs. Okay. Yeah. So that's our first type. Our second type of conflict is referred to as process conflict. And in very simple terms, this refers to disagreements about who does what. Okay. So now that we know the tasks that need to be performed, who is responsible for completing each component of those tasks? Okay. And then one of the more prevalent ones that I think we're seeing is relationship conflict. And this is where we see a lot of interpersonal disagreements between team members. So, okay. Let's get back to process. Yeah. Suppose I'm a night person and Ralph is a day person and you're a day person as well and uh, you do your tasks in from what nine to five mm -hmm. and i'm a wol at nine and at five you know i don't really come into my own until you know nine o'clock at night mm -hmm. uh, so i'm going to do my work at nine o'clock at night but that could end up messing you guys up right right Yes, there has to be a very clear process and agenda in a lot of teams. And mm -hmm. so we do often see that when it isn't clear what that timeline looks like or what deadlines are set for each task, 
people do get upset because people, other team members are not completing their tasks on the timeline that they might have in their head. So you have to get some agreement ahead of time as to what the parameters are. Correct. Go back to number three. Yes. What was that again? Yeah, so our third type is relationship conflict. Okay. And so I think this is what we often see a bit more of in the workplace. And these are going to be disagreements or incompatibilities between team members. These often involve friction or personality clashes. And this type of conflict results in the most negative outcomes or attitudes. Okay, are you familiar with the uh, uh, sitcom The Office? Yes, I love The Office. <laughs> Do we see that kind of uh, you know, uh, uh, problem there? Yeah, so obviously that show is a bit more dramatized um, than what people might experience in the normal workplace. But yes, so if you think of The Office, you have Michael and Toby, right? Mm -hmm. Michael's constantly battling with Toby and they have personality clashes and he's trying to get him fired and you know everything like that and so um like i said it, it is a bit dramatized but yeah we do see employees just in general might not get along within their team and it can cause a lot of tension a lot of annoyance and um it becomes very personal to a lot of people yeah okay so it's not yeah. the job anymore it's the you know personality right now let's take a look at some theories of personality uh, a predominant one these days is the big five, right? Mm -hmm. And that's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and low in neuroticism. Correct. Okay, so how does that work out within uh, your experience, within this personality uh, uh, dynamic? Yeah, so when we're talking about team conflict in particular, I think that we try to find employees who are a little bit higher in agreeableness, okay. right? Intuitively, you're going to have more relationship conflict the less people can agree with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, we also like to see low neuroticism, right? Yeah. We don't want people to be anxiety-ridden or, for lack of better terms, be unstable mm -hmm. in their behaviors or interactions with others. And in general, it's always good to be high in conscientiousness. Yeah, that seems to be a, a key one. Mm -hmm. uh, although, I suppose that could kind of backfire also. You could, be, you could have a, a member that's too conscientious. Right. Or, yeah, so in general, we see conscientiousness as the best predictor uh -huh. of success in the workplace okay. or performance in general. Um, but like you said, sometimes it's, it's not good to be too high or too low in any of these personality traits. And so basically, we're looking in organizations for somebody who is what we would call stable, who, who has the trade traits in the big five, but has them in a balanced sort of way. Right, yeah, so part of my job right now is creating what we call personality profiles that we tailor to different jobs. So some jobs you want to be a little bit more agreeable, right? Okay. If you have a customer service position, it's good to be more friendly and agreeable when you're working with customers. 
Sometimes in other positions when you have to be very strict and maintain a certain set of rules, then you don't want to be too agreeable. Yeah. If you were uh, going to hire somebody as an airline pilot, you would want that person to be the highest that you could on conscientiousness, right? Right, yeah. yes. And then the others are, yeah, perhaps kind of a wash. Yes. Oh, although, again, low on neuroticism, I think. I don't think you'd want a conscientious neurotic pilot, but <laughs> Right. And so while I do agree, like you stated, it is good to be in general in the middle areas of each of these dimensions. I think it is important that people realize that different personality traits or individuals with certain personality traits are better fitted for certain jobs than others. Yeah, and the example that comes to my mind is the difference between somebody who graduates from law school and comes to a small town and sets up a practice, uh, and they are probably going to say, you know, it would be highly useful for me to be an agreeable person when I meet with my individual clients. Whereas if they get a job at uh, a big Wall Street uh, law firm, the ability uh, and desire to work a 60 to 80 hour work week until they make partner, which might be 10 years, is going to be, you know, I'm so conscientious, I can come in at 6 in the morning and leave at nine at night and that's fine i don't my social life can uh, can wait so you know the 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 whole conscientiousness thing i think for that kind of job is very very critical right and i i do think it's important to state that for a lot of these jobs, when you are hiring employees, there are of course certain things that you can train on, right? But personality is one of those things you can't really train somebody to present themselves differently or have a different personality, right? That is something that for the most part is innate to them. It's very stable over time and it's very rare that we see significant changes on the levels for these personality traits. Yeah, and um, you know, I can, I can give our listeners the example of, uh, of Jim uh, who is very conscientious but one of the things he likes about being a university professor is the ability to set his own schedule mm -hmm. and be conscientious maybe at nine o'clock at night when he's working on a research project, which is not necessarily what the average employer would be saying, uh, no, I hire you to work from seven to three and I don't care if you're really conscientious at nine at night, um, you know, you're not on my time then. Yeah, and this is something I would actually love to come back on a different podcast for, is talking a little bit about happiness in the workplace and what characteristics employees are looking for and the kinds of things that predict their happiness in the workplace. Because we do see a lot of times there are disagreements between what the organization wants and what the employees need, and that's something that you were just speaking a bit towards. Yeah, if I remember correctly, we have a couple of guys named Oldham and Hackman. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
they have the job satisfaction model, right? Yes. Okay, and I think number one, and this kind of speaks to what you were saying, Ralph, number one is autonomy, right? Right, you autonomy know. is a big thing. And for those of you who don't know what autonomy means, it's essentially your ability to take control over the tasks that you're doing at work. Yeah, and so uh, if you're low in autonomy, the uh, management might like that because they can tell you but if you're really high, you know, got a high autonomy need, like perhaps most university professors do, your dad is a professor, right? Correct. Is yes. he high in autonomy? Yeah, I would say for the most part, as yeah. a professor, he had a lot of autonomy. Yeah, I think we can do almost anything as long as we don't kill somebody. <laughs> uh, so, um, if I was in a job where, you know, the autonomy demand was low, um, I would probably like it, but uh, no, I think I have that wrong. Where I couldn't exercise much autonomy, I would not like it, right? Correct. Because of my personality. Right. But if I'm in a job where I can have autonomy, I can, you know, come in with my flip-flops and my shorts and my funny shirt and, you know, interact in a non-destructive way, but uh, in, in, you know, my way. Who, who did that song, My Way? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Right? Yeah. yeah. That would be someone who, if there was a job like that that would permit high autonomy, you know, uh, the professor would probably like it, right? Right. Okay. One of the, uh, one of the interesting things when you, when you think about uh, organization and satisfaction on the job, and this this goes back to uh, my example of the Tiger Tank. If you're in a job where uh, every five models management is coming to you and saying, and, and now we're going to change um, what you do inside this vehicle, uh, to give you an example. Um, that would, I think, be incredibly frustrating to me uh, with my personality because I would say, no, I, I just learned the right way to do this job efficiently and now you're changing my job and I know that, you know, six models down, uh, you're going to be changing it again. Uh, if I'm a tinkerer and say, oh, I like experimenting and I like changing what I do every day, that's great, but if I'm a person who says, you know, I like stability, uh, I'm going to be saying, okay, out well, of here. You can have stability. You can work on the uh, American assembly line, doing, you know, putting on right fenders. That's your job, okay? But I'm going to take Cassie here. I'm going to put her in the Volvo plant, where they're going to swap her around. One day you're on right fenders. Next day you're on lights. The next day you're on electrical wiring. What does the research say? American plant or Volvo plant? You know, I think it comes back to individual characteristics mm -hmm. and personality like we were talking about. Some people really enjoy having changing or changing their tasks and the things that they have to do all the time. And so those individuals would be a lot happier in the Volvo plant, mm -hmm. right? But some other people are very comfortable and happy with doing the same task over and over. It just yeah. becomes habit to them and maybe even a little bit comforting. Yeah. And so those kinds of individuals would work better in that American plant. Okay, but now I'm driving down on 
you know, the Lodge Freeway, and right in front of me there's a car from an American plant that has just burst into flames, or there's a car from an American plant that has just lost a, uh, a wheel, uh, or, oh, there's a Volvo over here, and it's just doing its Volvo thing, you know. From a, a safety point of view, you know, if I were going to buy a car, which car might I buy, Ralph? You might buy the Volvo. If because, I could afford it, right? Yeah, if it, it had that reputation or has that reputation of being very well constructed and very safe. Yeah, and for a while, American cars really took a rap for being not very safe and not very well constructed, right? Yeah, I mean... Uh, That's why your dad used to have to buy a car every two years. Yeah, and uh, Ralph Nader wrote the book uh, about uh, particularly the Corvair, but it was also an indictment of the American uh, methodology of, of doing things, and he called it unsafe at any speed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were driving down the highway in your Corvair, and all of a sudden a wheel would fall off. Not so good. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so whether or not we we're going to have employees that are happy, there are consequences to the behavior that we see in the job. Right? Right. Um, now the other day, you and I were at a local donut place and uh, we ordered two muffins and three curlers, right? Right. Okay. Do you know what? I, and we paid eight bucks for them, which seems a little high. Um, but do you remember what we got in the bag? Uh, we got three muffins and uh, what? Either five? four or five curlers, yeah. Yeah. So the employee who was doing this either misheard or misunderstood or basically just didn't care and yeah. threw in three muffins and as many curlers as she could grab. Uh, yeah, so. and that em employee when we were driving through did not seem to be, you know, that focused on what, you know, she was doing, right? Yeah. Okay. So how do you how do you handle somebody like that, someone who's, you know, is costing you, your organization money, you know, because of, we'll say incompetence. Right. Well, from a business standpoint, and I think you're obviously referring to more fast food type of roles. Um, we see a lot of metrics there, and that's kind of helpful from a business aspect, right? Because you can see exactly how long it takes for an employee to do something, um, how many products they're putting out. There are a lot of different things we can measure. And so from a business aspect, for those employees, you you know, I don't want to say the immediate option is, well, fire them, right? We, right. we never want to jump immediately to that. There are other things we can do. We can talk to them, yeah. we can train them. Maybe they just weren't trained properly mm -hmm. on how to do something, and so giving them that proper training is helpful. Yeah, um, especially when it's hard to find employees these days. Right, yeah. right. So there are a lot of different steps, but unfortunately sometimes we do see for workers such as the one you were referring to, if it's a persistent issue and a, a problem where they really just aren't caring about the job that they're doing and it's reflecting on the service of the business, then in those cases, unfortunately, we do see a lot of people get fired for that. Yeah, and it's one thing when you say, 
uh, fast food infinite and replaceable. Mm -hmm. But you get to the professional level and all of a sudden you're looking at it's really costly mm -hmm. to fire somebody. Right. By the time you fire them and replace them, there's a lot of hidden costs well, until next time, this is Jim and Ralph and Cassie saying keep, keep your stick on the ice because we're all in this together. fast. Actually, I'm going to run to the bathroom really quick. <laughs>